0: You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartenburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Our second reading this morning from the gospel of Matthew. Here again the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. This, too, is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Fifteen years ago, a group from our congregation took a tour of Scotland. And of the 32 people that made the trip, about 20 were singers. And so a part of our visit included choral performances in different places around the country. Uh, One of these was in the ancient chapel on the tiny island of Iona. Iona is a ten-minute ferry ride from the Isle of Mull. Which is a 45 minute ferry ride from the mainland. And to get across the Isle of Mull from the first ferry to get you to the second, it's a 90 minute car or bus ride. So you get the picture. Iona is a long way from anywhere. But people want to go, and we were a part of a kind of a caravan of buses and cars taking folks like ourselves on a same-day pilgrimage to a speck of land that felt like it was on the edge of the world. This choir of ours consisted of any singer willing to make the trip. In other words, we were a pickup group. Commit to the trip, say you were willing to sing, and you were in the choir. Beth Cecil was on that trip. She was in the choir. She was one of our great tenors. Our program at Iona followed a brief worship service in the chapel Uh, The idea was that, after a 10-minute service, that we would sing for 10 or 15 minutes. So, the service in the chapel finished up, and we organized ourselves as quickly as we could, and we began. And then something happened. From a musical perspective, it was like a blurry television picture suddenly became crisp and sharp. Musical colors that had been dull became vibrant and full. Notes we'd been missing fixed themselves. Chords and intervals tuned for the first time ever, some of them. The the chapel was full of people and the crowd was electric. I kept mouthing additional pieces to the choir until we'd sung everything we had. Our 10-minute mini concert stretched out to nearly an hour. And if we'd had more music, we'd have kept going. And the crowd would have stayed and wanted it. I have never experienced anything like it before or since. Everyone in that room felt something. But none of us could quite put the feeling into words until David Rennick, who was the senior pastor here at the time and a leader of the trip, explained it to us. Iona, David said, is what we Scots call one of the thin places. A thin place is a place where heaven comes very near to earth. And so I had all this in mind as I was studying today's passage from Matthew, where Jesus says very explicitly that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, that it had come close. Galilee had become one of those thin places. And I'd like to think that those of us who were in the Iona Chapel that day had something in common with those fishermen and farm families and tradespeople who lived in that area of first century Palestine. But those people had something that we didn't. We had an experience, but we didn't know what to attach it to. But they did. The living, breathing person of Jesus of Nazareth. And it was that person that Simon, Andrew, James, and John engaged with on that day long ago by the Sea of Galilee. Immediately, Matthew says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, to fill the story out just a little bit, it appears that this moment probably was not the first time that those disciples had met Jesus. The Gospel of John records an encounter between Jesus, Peter, and Andrew and suggests that those brothers might even have been prior followers of John the Baptist. But, in any case, one minute they were fishing And the next, they were out of the water and new followers of Jesus of Nazareth. These were not lost souls in the sense that their lives to this point were random or had no meaning or purpose. Economically, uh, fishermen were squarely in the middle class of that time, for example. Uh, Galilee was well populated. The population had to be fed. There were plenty of fish. And while... Fishing was probably not going to make you rich. It was going to provide a steady income for you, your family, and maybe a little more besides. And they weren't lost spiritually either. They were observant Jews who were raised in and practiced and established faith. But the kingdom of God had come near through this man who appeared before them. And somehow it changed everything. In the biblical sense, They repented. You may have heard before that the word repent meant something a little different in biblical times than it does today. We think of it as being sorry for our thoughts, our actions, and vowing to do better going forward, just as we appropriately all said together a few minutes ago in our prayer of confession. And while that would surely be a part of biblical repentance, there's much more to it than that. To repent in the sense that John the Baptist and Jesus meant was to change the direction of your life, perhaps even to turn around and go the other way. It's less about feeling something and more about doing something. So, leaving your livelihood, in fact, your entire way of living and following an itinerant preacher, that's doing something. The question is why? What would convince them to follow someone they didn't know very well, if at all, on a journey they knew nothing about to an unknown destination? Well, we can't get into their minds, obviously. There are a couple of things peculiar to that time I could mention. Uh, One, revolution was in the air, for sure. Uh, Galilee, like all of Palestine, was occupied by Rome, and the weight of the occupation wasn't just temporal, it was spiritual. It wasn't just that the people couldn't govern themselves. It was that for observant Jews, the godly kingdom that they had longed for was not going to be possible under Roman rule. And they were always on the lookout for something or someone who might be able to change that. Of course, what made Jesus different was that the revolution he was preaching was not one of destruction but rather one of transformation and renewal. Again, there's no way to know how much of that part of the message those four fishermen might have understood at that moment. But they must have known that this prophet was different from all the others who must have come through town over the years. And these four people were men of honor. They were men who yearned to do good. Actually, this seemed to be a Galilean trait. The the first century historian Josephus wrote that Galilean Jews, quote, were ever more anxious for honor than for gain. What a wonderful thing. And perhaps they saw in Jesus the chance to help somehow make the world a better place. But that's not enough. Those and any other thoughts they might have had would have paled in comparison to the presence and person of Jesus Himself. I mean, lots of people would like to change the times in which they live. I'd like to change some things about the times in which I live. Lots of people want to do good. I want to do good. And what Jesus was promising, promising them was actually nothing, at least nothing specific. He did not say, let me sketch out for you my vision for Israel and the world. He did not say, I'll put your sense of honor to good use. Maybe you can lead one of my foundations. All he said was, follow me. And they did. They became disciples not because of principles or ideals, though principles and ideals are important, but by the power of Jesus' words and the power of his presence. The kingdom of God was at hand. If they really had never met Jesus before that moment, then, as our friend Lewis Galloway would say, they must have been gobsmacked. If they had met him previously, that might be even more impressive, because they would have had time to think of a lot of questions to which Jesus provided few, if any, answers. Again, they're not here for us to ask them about it, and everyone's faith journey is unique to them. and. Uh, since the story I know best is going to be my own, of course, and because I've come to feel over the last couple of weeks that maybe there's some parallel uh, between the story of my call and the call of the disciples, I'd like to share a little of that with you now. In retrospect, I realize that I'm a Christian today for one primary reason, and that reason is Jesus just wouldn't leave me alone. From my earliest memories in first grade Sunday school at the Methodist Church in Wynn, Arkansas, to the present, the question that Jesus asked the disciples a little later in Matthew, who do you say that I am, has returned to me over and over, today not because of doubts, but just because there's so much about Jesus I still want to understand. You know of all the historical figures that you learn about in the course of your education and beyond in life, uh, Jesus is the one that kept returning to my mind over and over again through all the stages of my life, even to the present day. I've loved, loved all the biblical, historical, and theological study I've been able to do, um, and my life would be poor without it. Uh, I love doing the research, Uh, that helps me prepare for sermons like this one. And of course, I love sacred music. But in the end, it's a lot of roads that seem to circle back to the same place, or really to the same person. I could put my story in this way. In our passage, Jesus tells these fishermen that they'll fish for people. Of course, he'd already caught them really, at that point. And we know Jesus was a carpenter by trade, but I think he had all the characteristics of a good fisherman. And I haven't fished in a while, but I still think I remember what they are. The number one quality, I think, of a good fisherman, I believe everyone who's ever fished would say this, the number one quality is patience. If you're not willing to wait, you don't want to fish. When you read the Gospels, don't you notice a patience about Jesus? How he waits for people to come to him. How he never forces himself on anyone. With me, Jesus has been unfailingly patient. Through times when I wanted to engage with him, and times when I wanted to do anything but. And related, there's perseverance. A fisherman will hang in there when the fish don't seem to be around and will devote the time it takes until they get interested again. Now, I don't know everything about what distracts fish, but we all know all the shiny things out there that can distract us in our lives. Jesus has always waited out my distractions. And a good fisherman knows how not to scare the fish. All a scared fish is ever going to do is swim away. And again, the scriptures relate over and over that rather than scaring people away, Jesus was more like a magnet that drew people to him. For me, no engagement I've ever had with Jesus, whether it was thought or prayer or music, ever suggested I should be scared of him. Worship with fear and trembling? Yes. But scared as in wanting to run away, never. But a good fisherman also has an eye for the moment. Knows when it's time to let the fish run and when it's time to reel the fish in. Uh, I'm thinking from the Bible, the story about Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus needing guidance and wisdom, and he got it. He didn't get the guidance and wisdom he was expecting, certainly, but he got it. And then finally, a good fisherman knows how to use the right bait. Have you noticed how many different kinds of people from different places, different cultures, different backgrounds, different life experiences find themselves drawn to Christianity? It's because Jesus knows his bait. And the bait's different for each fish. In Galilee, his healing ministry certainly was a big part of the picture. It drew people to him, so they were in a position to hear his words. I think the bait for me was study, thought, and definitely the great sacred music I began to encounter as a college student. But sometimes it was trying to make sense of something much much more personal, senses of sorrow or shame or guilt, times when my own resources I knew were not adequate for the moment. In any case, like Peter, James, Andrew, and John, I've been hooked. And given that, the question for me and maybe the question for all of us is how are we doing as the kind of fisherman Jesus wants us to be, the kind that he was talking about to those four disciples. Are we patient, like Jesus, or do we always seem to be in too much of a hurry? Will we hang in there with people for the long haul, like Jesus did, or do we push them away quickly when they don't meet our expectations? Are we a welcoming presence, or are we a scary one? Are we sensitive enough to know when someone needs our help, even if they don't say so? In short, are we a reflection of that light that J.D. talked about when he read uh, the, the first couple of verses of that Psalm passage? You know, the kingdom of heaven at hand can mean a lot of things. And it doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be a transcendent moment in an ancient chapel, although I wish a moment like that for all of you. It can be a tiny thing in the course of everyday life. Well, I've, named up, I've name-dropped two former First Presbyterian pastors. I'm going to name-drop one more as I close. Todd Jones told me this story years ago. It was about, regretfully, he... Todd had been at Montreat uh, for a gathering and it was a thin place kind of gathering. And he didn't want to leave. And he said with a sigh to a friend of his, well, I guess we have to go back to the real world. And his friend turned to him and said, maybe it's our job to make this, a thin place, the real world. And so it is. One moment at a time, One encounter at a time, one day at a time, one person at a time. In other words, let's all go fishing. Amen.